gentlemen, to the Hollywood Horror Cast. And today we are concluding our talk of, air quotes, classic universal <laughs> horror franchise of The Mummy. We are talking about our final two of the series. I, of course, am Matt. Sitting across from me in his garage tomb is... I don't. Are you are you doing the thing where you're being silly about it? Am I supposed to say Tim because you said Matt? Did I say Matt? Yes. Are you kidding me? No. So, folks, <laughs> this is bad. This is not going to bode well for the rest of this episode because we're coming off of we just recorded the prior episode that went on a lot longer uh, because than we were expecting initially. Because I think we were having a good time talking about these bad movies. But as I was doing show prep for this episode, with every keystroke of typing in <laughs> Abbott and Costello meet the mummy, a headache just started getting worse and worse and worse until I finally reached the mummy. And it was just full on hardcore headache penetration to this the is, top region of this my is where we skull. need. This is where we need... Um, really clever cutaways ahead of time so that we could drop in brain cloud. Brain cloud, yes. A fog of tissue running round, down the center of your brain. What's that from? Joe versus Volcano. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Is that what he's dying from? That's what he supposedly has. Brain fog. He has a, he has a brain cloud. Oh, man, I have that every day. Yeah, so I just, you know, you, you kind of accurately described all that, you know, and... It just reminded me of that, and then we could, you know, have Robert Stack jump in and say, brain cloud, Tom Hanks, brain cloud, brain cloud. Well, again, coming to you from <laughs> the tomb of Matt's garage, Yes, I am Tim, sitting across from me is... Matt, yes. uh, who, and we are apparently already suffering from the mummy's curse here. Um, <laughs> we haven't had a chance to talk about it, and we're already suffering from it. Oh, man. Wow. So. You, you can call a lot of things, you know... A lot of instances of suffering the mum from the mummy's curse. I think so. A, a bad bathroom experience. I suffered the mummy's curse. Maybe I don't know. Perhaps perhaps you're suffering. Your your headache is somehow uh, some subliminal, um, ethereal, ephemeral even attachment of the mummy having tried to strangle you for. Uh, for, for what we've had to say, and now that's just the leftover residue. You know, so you were worried about what all we were going to talk about for this episode, mm -hmm. how it wasn't going to be a 20-minute episode. I think we can elongate the botching of the opening of the show <laughs> for we about 45 it. minutes. I think so. I, think, I, I, and, really, I really think so. And then very much like uh, the second Mummy movie, where the Mummy only shows up in the last 20 minutes... That's when we'll actually start talking about these last two movies. Oh man, you know, I feel like uh, I, I feel like that's true. Um, but we could definitely do that. But I don't know that the the few remaining people after all these years, or the new people coming to us after all these years, will hang in for that. So no, and we know there are diehard fans of the Mummy's Curse. Dozens, I'm sure, literally. Even the cicadas know. left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the cicadas are gone. They're like, forget this. We're done. <laughs> All right, folks, let's just dive in. Mummy's Curse, 1944. Is there, uh, are there any 
going into this production notes you wanted to talk about, sir? Well, the production with like the story moved from Massachusetts to Louisiana. For some reason, the story also moves from Massachusetts to Louisiana. What did I say? Said the production moved from Massachusetts to Louisiana. Fine, you know, this is why you're here. This is why I don't I'm not hosting this on my own. <laughs> I'm glad I could be there for you. Uh, I really, I really don't have any production notes other than the movie takes place 25 years after the previous movie, which puts this as what we've discussed uh, pre-show takes place in the early 90s. Yes, this is folks, folks, uh, look for an early Tupac Shakur uh, in this. I'm just kidding. Don't do that because you know it's 1944. He's not alive yet. Are you talking about Gooby? No. Oh, God, that's, like, Gooby, totally insensitive, and I didn't even mean it that way. That's horrible. <laughs> that's horrible. Because no. there, there are two stereotypes. We have Cajun Joe and Gooby. Yes. Um, they actually managed to, and I don't think they did this unironically, uh, they finally managed to cast a couple of people that they didn't put either brown face or black face on. Unfortunately, though, they did just cast them in a stereotypical role or light. Uh, so, yes, you do have the Cajun, Cajun Joe, and then Gooby, who is the uh, one of the workers, the construction workers of the area that they're doing. So uh, the, the story behind this movie is there is an engineering company and it is going to drain a local swamp uh, so that they can develop the land. Um, efforts are being hampered, though, because workers are superstitious. They don't like, you know, what's going on. In walks a couple of museum guys, uh, Dr. James Halsey and Dr. Uh, Itzor Zandab, uh, played by Dennis Moore and Peter Coe, respectively. Fez. And, yeah. <coughs> Fez. Fez, right, yep. Uh, Zandab's got Fez. So Bad guy. <coughs> bad, bad guy. And so uh, they come in and they're like, hey, listen, um, We've heard reports about there being uh, mummies and stuff, and and that there and that you've got problems with your workers. We'd like to actually go. We be, we have reason to believe that a mummy named Keris uh, and Princess Anaka are actually. It's not Princess Anaka in this one, is it? No, it is Anaka. Okay, sorry, I'm thinking of next movie. We we have reason to believe that these mummies are actually still out in your swamp, and we want to go take them off your hands, get them into a museum and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The foreman is like, no, you guys are just going to get in my way. And, you, you know, I don't really have time for all that stuff. And they're and they are immediately interrupted by someone going, there's been a murder. So they go and find out that some poor guy's been stabbed right about where Karis was. Karis now gets out and he is now uh, again been resurrected to get anaka and then get them back to egypt they're they're trying one more time to get them back to egypt this this particular recap though when they finally decide to have the recap is really boring it's done from the whole priest perspective and they belabor it it's kind of like they took the lessons that they learned in the mummy's ghost and just said we want to make a thoroughly terrible movie and they did so again, shenanigans ensue. Now, beyond the fact that the that they're trying to get Karis to find uh, Anaka and get everything taken care of, Anaka actually gets uncovered. 
and is awakened on her own. So she awakens on her own and manages to find this river nearby where she's able well, she, to she's wash uncovered off. from the drain swamp right i'm sorry uh, i guess which is they, pretty they, shocking i was i was pretty surprised by that yeah they, uh, they, that's they, the they one are, thing i liked yeah they they are using bulldozers and stuff obviously because they're doing and they act they, and they partially uncover her and then she is able to rise on her own now this particular scene though as they do it i am not convinced that they did not blind that chick like i'm pretty sure she legit could not see Oh, with well, her makeup. Yeah, with her makeup and stuff. Sure. Like I, I mean, because the way she stands up and gets out of that ditch and tries to you know, and get her footing, and she is totally, like, reaching out with her foot to try. And, so at first you're thinking, oh, it's because, you know, the sun, and, and, and they make a really big deal of shifting between the sun and the clouds and how that kind of alters her ability to move or whatever. But I'm, I'm pretty sure she just flat out couldn't see. Well, she was covered in mud, and she so, was down there for 25 years. Yeah, and uh, not only that, I mean, talk about your... The magical your, water she goes into that completely does her hair and gives oh, her makeup. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. And it's played by a different woman. It is, yes. And I did go back and check because she looks pretty similar. Very similar, sure. Um, you know, and again, I'm watching these movies literally one after the other, and I'm sitting here going, man, is that that looks like the same. Is that the same girl? So I had to go back and look. She, and so, again, now, but she's got uh, amnesia, basically. She's not really sure what the hell's happening. Unfortunately for her, the mummy is now going after her uh, to, to find her and bring her back and everything. And every poor person who takes pity on this young lady dies cajun joe finds her at one point takes her back to the bar uh the bar the owner of the bar is taking care of her and then you know mummy comes in and kills her she stumbles runs away finds some other doctor people and they take her in and they're trying to help her and then the mummy eventually catches up there poor doctor guy dies and everything so Again, these are the shenanigans that ensue. She is constantly running away because she doesn't know who she is because she's got amnesia. She hasn't been given all of the sacred liquids and stuff, the Tana leaf liquid. But she does recall things about ancient Egypt, and she's actually able to speak to it and stuff, but she doesn't really know why. This progression happens, and it keeps going. It keeps uh, getting worse and worse for this poor girl until eventually everything culminates and uh, the original servant of our Dr. Zendob basically betrays everything because he wants, again, he wants the girl for himself. He wants to knock for himself because she's so beautiful. He ends up killing the doctor, and then the mummy comes after him, and he's like, no, I could keep you alive. Cadiz, without me, you will die. And at this point, I think Lon Chaney's just done. So he starts tearing up the sets. And works through the iron door. I thought that was nice. Like, I liked how this guy locks himself in a cell. They're in the basement of a monastery. So I don't even know why this thing has a, a prison-like cell. But it had, this old monastery has this prison cell. He, the guy locks him in, locks himself in to uh, put a barrier between him and Carice. And so Carice comes up and breaks all the bars and stuff. And he just stops. And I'm thinking... This guy's just going to reach over and undo the door, isn't he? Nope. He then just continues to start bashing through the door. And what the hell was this even about? I, I, I don't know what we're supposed to do with all that. So he ends up tearing down, bringing down the whole thing around him. 
all the people who have gone after the mummy, they're gone after Anaka to try and help her out. They conveniently are just on the other side of the ruins. And then they go and they find Anaka, who had been given the Tana Leaf uh, stuff by this point. And she has turned back into the mummy. And the movie just kind of ends along with the series. And right, rightfully so. Because at this point, I, it's so, so poorly acted, so poorly overdone. They at least managed to get outside properly. I'll give them that. Is there anything um, you liked about the movie? Um, the girl who plays Anaka. I thought she did a pretty decent job. Right. Again, I think they did, for the most part, whoever was casting these young ladies needs to be commended. Uh, for Even all the way back into uh, 1932. I, I really do think that they were smart about the actresses that they cast. Even the ones who, like in Mummy's, uh, Mummy's Hand, I mean, she is more of a, sadly, she is more of a plot device than anything else. But she, the character seeks and uses agency. And all, of the, and all of the women in these movies do at least get that. And I think that that is uh, cool, especially for the time. Uh, you wouldn't have necessarily seen that. They're not all just strictly helpless damsels. Sure. So. I, story-wise, I do like the idea of needing to drain the swamp therefore leading to the resurrection of the mummy and Anaka. I thought that was kind of interesting. But there are a lot of, there's a lot of silliness to this movie. Outside of having another Fez bad guy man uh, and Cajun Joe, the aforementioned Cajun Joe and Gooby, I also thoroughly enjoyed, at the same time it being something that I liked, but something that I found completely silly, was the ending of the film. And I know we're jumping right to the ending, but I've got to. I, I just got to get this off my chest where uh, the main woman dies. So this woman who has been missing for 25 years because she she uh, reverted back to Anaka's corpse in the last movie. Right. <clears throat> she becomes uncovered. Nobody knows who she is. Uh, she's now technically like a drifter. But after 25 years, I'm pretty sure she has family somewhere. But who cares? We're going we're gonna to completely gloss over the idea that she could find family, you know, rekindle relationships with, with mother and dad, any mm -hmm. siblings, aunts, uncles, grandparents. No, we're just, you know, we're just going to keep her in this story. But they weren't in the last movie. They weren't in the so, last movie. I mean, movie. I got to give it again. I'll give it to them for the lore. They were not in the previous movie. We have no idea who she was beyond just her being there. So... But any character from the last movie, who would have known of her, don't... I mean, they're not even a part of this film. Well, that's because they're in a different state. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Massachusetts to Louisiana. The, the swamp move. What do you want them to... I know. I mean, you know, what do you expect of these people? I yeah. mean, you know, they were, they, were, they were solidly in Massachusetts, and now there's Cajun Joe. Well, I don't... It's maybe because, Cajun Joe moved to Massachusetts. I don't know. Well, there is a strict law about draining swamps in Massachusetts. So that is why they were forced <laughs> to move to Louisiana, clearly. Um, but, the, but the ending, she basically shrivels up and, and dies, and you have the main guy who you think there's, there's a... The issue is that there are two similar characters, female 
characters. Yeah, that Betty. But the... You you had the secretary, and then you have uh, Anaka resurrected. Right. And at the end of the movie, Anaka yeah, resurrected dies, shrivels up, and dies. And literally, the leading man and I, you know, oversized suit douchebag. That's sure. that's Fez, evil man, oversized suit douchebag. That's how it is with these movies. He's basically pretty much. I am not joking. Well. That sucks. Betty, shall we? And they go off and skip merrily into the credits. As if everything was fine. This young woman that he may or may not had a crush on, some kind of relationship, willing to let the lore, the lore ride off into the sunset as if this seemed like the logical thing to do. <laughs> and my logical step in character development is to easily accept it and... Go have sexy time with the secretary, Betty. But we have already established that back all the way again in the Mummy's Tomb, because that's how are you what making these connections, and you remembering these connections? Because this is what I do. Why? I mean, this is my only contribution. Is piecing that, and you know, I I was there bought a website twelve years ago. That's, were, were, those were you are my watching two, the Mummy's Tomb, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to create some kind of string theory for all these movies <laughs> so I can make sense of it. Like it's, it's become your sweating this, this passion. Can't, yes. This can't, this can't have meant nothing. It can't have meant nothing. Um, no, no, no. But seriously, they, they established that again. And I don't think it's so much lore of the series as it is the way movies were made because Banning's son or nephew or whoever Banning's younger prodigy or progeny depending on how you look at it does the same thing dad's just died but oh well three days later let's go get married uh you know i got somewhere to be and so because that's how they handle these things it carries forward yeah you know i mean it was much more progressive in this version of the 90s i guess i don't know (laughs) (laughs) the 90s that we got for real yeah it also doesn't help that movies at this time they were still formulaic ending you know in in the sense of well the main story is over let's wrap it up you know kind of like you a lot of the wolfman movies or even dracula the dracula sequels where all right dracula's dead now let's just end the movie all of a sudden everybody else is fine nobody is traumatized by anything that has happened but you know what this woman that i may have loved is dead, but it's okay. She has no family. She had no life to begin with. But I can with Betty. Everything is fine. Let's let's move on. That's all I got. I it's, mean, I. It's a terrible movie, folks. <laughs> I, you know, I I really was. I was. We fed can talk up. about the flashbacks because you we get a flashback to the first movie where you see the the slave guy, the slaves with the spears. Through them, through their abdomens. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you again, do because see, they see a little bit of that pre-code gore. They did put that back in. My guess is is that the censors were just sleeping that day uh, and let that and let that go, or it probably was wartime, and so they were being a little bit more lax with the entertainment. Um, they might have also just needed something kind of shocking to put into the damn movie so that people would go see it. Because, yeah. Uh, like I said, folks, this is this is where they threw out all the cool stuff they had done in the ways that they recap these things, and then they're just doing everything that they'd done the first time. It, yeah, I'm, folks. There's just really nothing redeeming 
about this movie uh, beyond beyond the idea. <clears throat> like I said, I I like the draining of the swamp, and I beyond like Virginia Christine. That's the actress. The the actress who plays Princess Anaka. I I like her 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 resurrection from the from the mud. Yes, I, I really like that. I was very much surprised by it, and it was kind of it was such a big surprise to me that I wasn't expecting that it saved the movie from being utter complete crapola. Whereas the movie before was just a boring slog. <laughs> <laughs> but here you had a literal slog and it turned out okay. Right, exactly. So there was just more to it. I mean, it felt like you were at in a place, you know, you were in Louisiana, there were swamps, there were motives, character motivations, there was something that had to happen, you know, to progress the story forward. Right. And, you know, there's more things to buy into. And what's really sad is that with it being the final entry in this series, you would think that they would have at least seen the writing on the wall and tried to give it some some finality. Um, which I guess they did in the in a, by having Karis be dead and then Anaka be a mummy again. I guess I do have a burning question though. Hmm. Costumes, or costumes, depending on who you ask or who you talk to, because they pronounce costumes. Like, like what's his name? Paul Walker in the first Fast and Furious movie. He's, it's tuna fish, but he says tuna fish. It's tuna fish, <laughs> not tuna fish. Are you are you are you, pronou- are you pronouncing? The the W H sound in Cool Whip? Yes, that's what I said. Cool, cool whip. whip. Cool Whip. <laughs> so whenever you were draining a swamp, never thought I'd ever say the that phrase so often mm. in a short period of time. <laughs> when is the appropriate garb wearing when you're commanding your group to be draining a swamp? Is the appropriate garb safari of safari costume? Because <laughs> the guy's wearing that safari outfit with that like helmet hat. Was that standard issue back in the 40s? Like, I guess. Um, and apparently, that I mean, what a great segue, because that's pretty much all Abbott and Costello wear for the bulk of their But they're movie. actually in Egypt. They're not in Louisiana. <laughs> um, maybe it's supposed to be... I, I don't know. I, I'm thinking that, the, that it's got to be some kind of link toward Africa or something. I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I, to my knowledge, we don't wear safari gear... <laughs> Well, no, definitely not swamps, now. You know, well, maybe yeah. in the 90s. I think that was a 90s yeah. fashion faux pas. It, yeah, it was not very fashion forward of them. I will say with this movie, there is definitely, I think, indirectly more romance from the mummy. Because he does do an indirect self-sacrifice where he kills the one guy who holds the knowledge. He's the remaining bad guy who, who retains mm. the knowledge of the secret of the tannin leaves. And... The mummy kills him because the guy is wanting to get with the woman. And right. so there's something at least there. Scraping the bottom of the barrels, but they're actually trying to do something. And and there's there are glimpses. And maybe he's just tired of the cycle repeating itself. You know, maybe this is Karis's last. Yeah, Karis is bored with his own movies. Ad, yeah, <laughs> ad, you know. Like I said, Lon Chaney was done, so he wrecked the sets. He was also, I think, so Lon Chaney's not only the the thicker mummy, the most thick mummy, but he is also the most considerate mummy. 
and I say considerate, mummy. And these are things that I was focusing on this entire film, because he carefully closes doors, if you've noticed. He's lumbering through, and he hits a door, and the door's swinging, and he just, as it's closing, he just puts one hand back to stop it, and slowly closes it. When he's carrying people, like even dead folk, he carefully sets, gently sets them down. Very considerate. You know, it just goes to show that Karis, he's not one-dimensional. You know, he's got, he's got motivations. He's got things that matter. And dead bodies, and life, or lifeless bodies, whether or not they're actually dead, they matter. You know, not slamming doors matters. And that's the hallmark of a good mummy, I suppose. Well, Finding things that matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, one more. I have, I have one final Seinfeld bit. <laughs> so what's the deal? Okay, go ahead. So what's the deal with leaving these women alone, unattended, in destructible tents? And that uh, you, you don't have to armor? say anything. Oh, okay. Did you say plot armor? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. So this is the final film featuring Lon Chaney. Fe- I mean, this this is what ended the series. Bad guy's dead. Nobody else to carry on the the Tannen leaves story to bring the mummy back. Right. Overall, what what did you think? Do you think the movie, for what it was, what they were trying to do, did the ending work? Personally, I thought the ending does I work. Say yes. Um, I kind of cared for. Karis by the end of the movie I liked what he did an indirect self-sacrifice I jived with it a little a little bit more even though the movie is 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 bad it's it's not fantastic at all well and I and but there's a lot of ideas the movie has ideas to where I kind of hoped they would do one more and maybe just carry on these ideas I think quickly bit my tongue perhaps maybe that should then be the legacy of this movie it's not it's not a good movie. It's not well made. There are very, very few redeeming factors of the movie. So, so few that you literally have to nitpick the, thing, the couple of things that would work. But from that, you do get these ideas of finality. Ideas of characters with flaws and motivations and hubris and what all that entails and what that looks like through the ages and how there are similarities and ring theory that you can find within that stuff. So let's leave it there because if anybody were to try to pick up that mantle, I don't see how they would in this vein, obviously, you know, we have the Brendan Fraser stuff that comes 50 years later, but I think that 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 is where it should be left is there. Good ideas. Ideas to think about. And I think that's where we should leave this review. Very good. The Mummy's Curse and is there. <laughs> it's it's there. We're, we're making little gestures with our hand right now. So um, our hands, I guess. So, yeah, then I guess let us go. We have one more to do, folks. Speaking of finals, <laughs> it's, it's the final Abbott and Costello movie. Yes. Um, and it's the final movie that we're talking about. And it's, it's the, the final, final mummy movie for them. It, so. it, it's the final meet movie. Abbott and Costello meet movie. This is the final movie that both of them were together in. 
It's their final movie that they did with Universal. It's a lot of finality here. There is. And I am glad that this is the final movie that we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and not for nothing. When they say when we say final, it is the 28th and final Abbott and Costello film that was produced by Universal. Didn't so. they make 28 movies and or no no no, they made 36 movies together in 16 years. Yeah. Un, un, 30, unreal. I I could be off. I could be giving them maybe five extra movies. I don't know. But still, even if it was 31 movies in 16 years, that's ridiculous. And 28 of them were with the studio. It's, oh my gosh. Just watch Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah, do not watch this movie. You, because you want to watch Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. It is, that's how you do an Abbott and Costello meets movie. One of the things that we talked about when we originally talked about Abbott and Costello uh, meet Frankenstein that um, works so well is that Abbott and Costello are not the main draw of the plot. They are the main draw for the audience, but they're not the main draw of the plot. The serious horror elements are happening around them, and they just are incidentally involved and tangentially attached and then become part of it um, as the movie progresses. That allowed for them to do their stuff, to have their shtick and to to lighten the tone when, when you needed it and to relax you again so that they could scare you later on. It's situational comedy that's in service of the story in the characters. Correct, absolutely. Because you had Bela Lugosi as Dracula, main character, uh, Lon Chaney Jr. as the Wolfman, Wolfman, main main character, character, Frankenstein's monster, not really a main character, if I remember correctly. I don't think so. It's still involved, though. Still involved. I think uh, more so involved at the end. And then, of course, Abbott and Costello and the ladies that are also the love interests, I guess. There's just more to the movie. There's great pacing, great gags, great editing, great timing and also it's a great halloween movie to put on i went and saw abbott and costello meet frankenstein i talked about this on the show when i did go see it uh maybe a year after i think it was the year after we reviewed all the wolfman movies uh quentin tarantino's new beverly cinema they would do uh, matinee shows and this matinee show on this particular saturday was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And it was awesome. It just put me into that mindset of Halloween time, spookiness, because the tone was perfect. A wonderful balance, as you said, with comedy and horror and suspense. This movie is recycled. Yeah. It eschews all of that. Yeah. And yeah, it's just recycled material. They are tired. It comes across in their performances. I mean, maybe. and it's filler. It's all filler. It's, yeah, it's they don't. They, all filler. they clearly don't want to be there either. It's a contractual obligation. That this, that's what this movie should have called. Uh, Abbott and Costello meets the contractual. Meet the contractual obligations. Obligation. <laughs> yeah. I will say this. Uh, it, it does show. So something I had read in some production notes here um, was the the characters actually have different names in the script. They're not supposed to be they're, Bud they're and Lou, names. Yeah. And, but they just didn't. They literally could not have cared less and just used their names. They was like, all right, you know, Lou, all right, Bud, you know, the whole time in, in the movie. They, didn't, they literally didn't even try to hide it. 
But it is. I mean, everything is an excuse to provide some kind of a number, a dance number, uh, a singing number, a sight gag. Oh, my God, the snake charming. Just everything. And it's it, and nothing is in service of the plot. Nothing is worthwhile. It's just trite. It's lowbrow, low concept. And they... It's a universal movie, and by the end of it, you know, I'm sitting there calling him like, oh, what was the name I wanted to, oh, I was going to call it, I think like I wanted to call the, the, the mummy Clarissa by the end of it, just because they call it Clarice. Clarice. Yeah. Clarice. Yeah, Clarice. Yeah, I'm sitting there, you know, thinking, you know, Clarice, uh, like, okay, cool, so we're going to do like Silence of the Lambs here. Uh, Clarence, I was thinking Clarence when I'm like, like you know, what... What stupid name am I going to call this mummy since they have, they're not even bothering to try and get the name right? Yeah, I don't get it. There's just nothing redeeming about this movie. Well, uh, what is this movie about? It's kind of hard to tell. Okay, it so takes place in Egypt. It does. Uh, basically, this uh, some professor guy has stumbled across a tomb of a princess that has uh, potential for a treasure. And they... Is, is this Mel Cooley? I couldn't remember who Mel... Mel, uh, well, the actor's name is Richard Deacon, but he plays Mel Clooney, Clooney, Mel Clooney, Jesus, Mel Cooley in Dick Van Dyke. Oh, yeah, maybe it was. I don't remember. Na- uh, the, the character's name is Dr. Gustav Zumer. So Professor finds the yeah, tomb. Yeah, the Professor finds the tomb. They want to be able to bring the mummy, if they find the mummy, they want to be able to bring the mummy back to the States and have like an exhibition and that kind of stuff uh, at a museum. Simultaneously... You've got Abbott and Costello's character who overhear that, who think that this will be a way to get hired on to guard the the body or whatever uh, so they can get back to America because it's not really clear why they want to get back to America or what predicament they're in. They just, that's the impetus. Simultaneously, the followers of uh, Claris hear him and want to put a stop to that while also simultaneously this other person who is Matt, Madame Ron True, I think. She is someone who wants to uh, fence the treasure, basically. So now everything, and that's kind of the impetus for the rest of the plot. Abbott and Costello go to the doctor's house to go and try and get the job. Doctor's murdered by the followers of Clarice. Uh, <laughs> Clarice, I did it. I just said it. So I guess Clarice is what we're going with. The followers of Clarice have killed the doctor. Now, Abbott and Costello are trying to figure out who's killed the doctor because Abbott accidentally gets framed for it. And then in the meantime, the medallion that has the, uh, that has the directions to the treasure is in their possession. Madame Rontru is trying to get it, uh, from them. And this is, and it's just hashing this circle roundabout again until the real mummy is involved and trying to kill people. And then her men, yeah, one of her guys dresses up like the mummy to try and, you know, secure the treasure for themselves. And then Abbott ends up trying to dress up as the mummy to help secure. This is so dumb. Yeah. And so you've got three mummies, only one of which was. And by the way, this is the only time in all of the movies that the mummy actually, like, makes noise. You know? Yeah. Um, it, I, and then, yeah, and then the, it's just a stupid thing where, 
the real mummy ends up accidentally blowing himself up and they open a freaking nightclub in the stupid pyramid tomb. The so, end. Everybody can wake up now. I did. So something, I got distracted, so I wasn't paying attention. I apologize. But the same thing happened when I watched this movie. So I'm not in LA. Moved back here. Living at my dad's house for a while until we buy a house. And there are water stains in the living room, on the living room ceiling. And I'm watching this movie... And I looked up at the stain, and I started seeing, just seeing things in the stain. Like, oh, is that's a shape. What kind of, It kind of looks like a beaver. Well, look at it this way. Oh, it kind of looks like a rabbit. And literally, 25 minutes passed, and I'm looking at the same water stain. <laughs> I decided to start watching the movie again. 25 minutes had passed, and I missed nothing at all. I even went back and rewatched it. Miss nothing. I at know all. because everything was filler. They have so little to. They have so little plot to carry it. It's an hour and twenty minutes, and they have so little plot to carry it. There's like seven musical numbers in it, and like three dance. No, it's like sorry, seven dance numbers, and then like three musical numbers that they do in it. They're really, just, I don't even remember. Yeah, five of them because they're constantly looking for excuses. Like the dance numbers were incorporated into like. Various, show. yeah, 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 and, yeah, and like various parts of the servants or whatever doing their thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's ridiculous. Twenty three minutes into the movie, I chuckled once uh, until the next chuckle. So within the first twenty three minutes, I chuckled on, and these are gags that they've done before and done much better. Where one of them has their helmet on and their helmet on is on too tight, and they pull it up and it makes a pop, pop sound. Yeah. And then 23 minutes in is when they uh, they play the he plays the floozy is that what it is the floozy the little horn oh sure whatever yeah thing. I, don't, I mean and the cobra comes out I thought that was and he keeps trying to go to moves to the next basket and but the a cobra still keeps coming out I thought that was somewhat funny but they've done it before that's, that's what's it, annoying yeah, that's why I was like I've seen that so many times already I exactly was like, and other than pre Mel Cooley uh, Richard Deacon. The only good thing about this movie was Marie Windsor, who plays Madame Ron, Ron True, Ron True, whatever her name yeah, is. Ron, yeah, Ron she True, is guess, so. the best part of this movie. A bit mysterious, a bit sultry. There's just something about her. I just wanted to see more of her. That's it. There's production to the movie. That's something that's also annoying. The biggest sets of every one of these mummy movies are in this film. Vast sets. Mm-hmm. Money was put into it. The output was blah. That's it. Well, you can make, I mean, it's you, painfully you, you can, have, be- you can have beautiful sets, but if you've got a terrible script, lackluster direction, and stars that couldn't care less, then you're still going to, you know. What I wrote here is painfully unfunny, even with all the physical comedy, air yeah, quotes here, air quotes there, sure. because attempt at physical comedy, you know, they're putting nothing into it. With all the physical comedy and manic running. Because they do a lot of manic running around. There's just no reason to, you know, no reason for it. You know, there are little bits of like, ooh, there's like a corpse. I'm gonna, one person's going to react to it, and then it's the next person's time to run into it and then react to it. But, you know, it, it's so, it's so, the gags are so simple and dumb to begin with. It doesn't take much effort to make it pay off. I don't know. There's the whole whistling gag where they're in the tomb and they're waiting there and they're sitting across from each other like two feet away 
Abbott and Costello are. Mm. And they're like, if I see the mummy coming uh, behind you, I'm going to whistle. So I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to whistle. Well, okay. So they're sitting there, and one of them, I think Abbott is sitting by the by the sarcophagus, and then Costello's sitting against, uh, like, a wall or something. Uh, and so the wall behind Costello revolves, and the mummy's behind him. Of course, Abbott sees it and trying to whistle and try to get his attention that the mummy's, mummy's behind him. But what's the point? You're two feet away from the guy. Just say, yo, man, there's a mummy <laughs> behind you. Like, what, what's the point of the whistling? And that is the best example of of poor execution and pointlessness throughout this entire movie. You know, like when they're trying to hide from, unless, try to hide from people. Unless that's the actual point. Like you as the audience member are supposed to find the humor in the fact that they're too stupid to just yell. But I, I'm not, I'm not, they're not, I'm not like saying that that's stooges. right or that's right. the correct answer. But that's like I, three you know. stooges mentality. You know, with the three stooges, you go in knowing these guys are just idiots, but these guys are just, are, it's situational comedy I mean, they're dumb. They're, they can be... It, I don't know. I can't make any sense of this movie. Don't try. It's not worth it. I was hoping you could. No, it's a terrible movie. But you worked your magic on the last movie. But that was because it was part of a franchise and a series. There, there was continuity. There was lore. Here, this is just some standalone thing that everybody was like, we're done. Yeah. There's no point dwelling on this movie anymore, but I do have a question. Sure. And you kind of already answered it, but to as a nice as a nice ending. Why did the character of the mummy not work for this movie? Why does it not work for this type of movie? My while you're thinking about it, my reasoning, in my mind, I guess my answer would be. You need backstory of the mummy. There has there's a history there. There's a backstory, and you it's a it's it's a tragic character where there's a lot of buildup in the previous movies. Okay, you're, you're using it from the perspective of the history of the character and the backstory. I would say the reason why the mummy doesn't work in this movie is because the mummy doesn't have anything to do. Right. Backstory or not, character or not. The mummy literally has nothing to do, but, in, but be a plot device. Until the, yeah, the end, it's a MacGuffin for the most part. Right. And then there's three mummies. Two fake mummies, one real mummy. But, right. So the... So that, I, I'd really that, have nothing else. Yeah. Like, even even the more the more thought out methodical question, just went. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, folks. This is it's not like a the great... mold. Yeah, it's like the mold that gets left on the uh, on the necks of the victims that yeah. get strangled. That that's what this movie is. It's just there's nothing. It's worthless. Yeah, it's this is a bad episode. Not because I think we're bad, but just, the movies are that bad. Yeah, like this there's... one is that bad. There's nothing to... I have a raging headache. I developed a raging headache <laughs> on, on the lead-up to this movie, and it's gotten progressively worse while talking about it. Yeah. So then let's just let's just put this thing out of its misery. Please. Um, I didn't have as much fun with this as I'd wanted to. Would, I, I would not want to do these again. Uh, if I never see another one of these types of mummy movies ever, it'll be too soon. Like sure. even I, like I'm even turned off at this point of watching the Hammer Horror. I realize that I will probably 
come out, around out to that, that yeah. you know but right now i would if you were to ask me would we ever do i would say no right because it's that bad right it, i will say that at least the journey in and of itself was worth seeing how the movies and the lore came to be and i guess that's better than nothing yeah the reason why i chose the mummy series and i talked about this i think in the first episode i remember as a kid watching AMC or Turner Classic Movies, probably AMC, and I saw there was a mummy, black and white mummy movie on, and I just remember the set, the scenery, moody, fog, and there was the mummy walking towards a house trying to track down, I, I think it was a lady, a girl, something. And I just remember thinking, that is spooky looking. I just love the feeling of this. I, I want to track down this movie and watch it, so I thought, well, I'll just, we'll just watch the series, and I'll track down this movie. None of these movies rung a bell. <laughs> I never came back to that one movie, so I, I'm sorry. I led you. I led myself astray, and at the same time punished Matt. Ah, that's all right. Well, you know, we've punished each other enough over the years with particular choices. It's, it's, it's just par for the course now. Well, I guess if you're still listening to this episode, uh, wake up subconsciously. Wake up. This concludes. This round of talking about the mummy movies, <laughs> maybe in the next 20 years, 10, 20 years, we might talk about the Hammer Horror films or even uh, the first original iterations of the mummy movies. Uh, of course, if you're interested, 1911, there was a film by the Tannhauser Company. I, I don't even have the name of the movie, just filmed by the Tannhauser Company. Uh, where the mummy was resurrected using electricity, a la Frankenstein, and also a 1918 film by Ernst Lubitsch called The Eyes of the Movie. If you're in interested in reading a book, apparently the 1903 Bram Stoker movie, The Jewel of Seven Stars, is worth checking out. I've never... It is called The Mummy. 1911's film is called The Mummy. Oh, it is just called The Mummy. Yes. It's okay. a short, silent film. Okay. <clears throat> uh, so go check those out. Maybe those are somewhat better, and maybe these movies pulled a little bit from them that I didn't hear about or read up on, or just maybe it was not made public. But let us know. Even if you know the, the Hammer movies, you enjoy them, and you think, guys, you're missing out on these installments. Maybe if you let us know, we might go and, and check them out. That's right. and or if there's one, or if there's a series that you think we should be checking out that sure. we haven't talked about yet, that'd be good too. You should send that email to the show at slscast.com. Until then, this is Matt and Tim. I caught myself there. <laughs> Coming to you from the tomb of Matt's garage. <laughs> Saying, <laughs> <laughs> take care, guys. Peace out, y'all.